So let's begin tonight with a, with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to uh, come into your house and study uh, your word amongst your people. And I just pray tonight, Father, that you would open our ears uh, to hear. Uh, you'd open our mind to understand. But most of all, God, you'd open our hearts to obey. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, as everybody probably knows by now, unless this is your first time, we are uh, making our way through the book of Romans. And tonight we will cover the last verses uh, in this uh, great chapter, which is chapter 6. And the title of our lesson is God's Role in Our Sanctification. Now, I'll tell you tonight that I have some really, 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 really good news. Or, or maybe I should say the Apostle Paul uh, has some really good news. If you got your Bibles, turn to uh, chapter 6, and let's look at verses 14 through 23, because, I, again, I like people to be able to see it right there on the page in front of them or on your iPad or your phone or whatever you use. Let's start off in verse uh, 14. Paul says this, For sin shall not be master over you. Now, the good news about this is this is not a command, it's a promise. Now, now, by the way, he's already told us don't let sin reign over you. He told us that back in verse 12. That's not what he's saying here. He's not, he's not saying don't let it happen. He's saying it will not happen. That is a promise, not a, a command. Paul is, is basically guaranteeing us as Christians that sin will not rule in our life that Lord Jesus will remain on our throne, that we will continue as Christians to prefer God over sin. That's, that is an absolute uh, promise. Now, Paul's not just going to make that promise and, and stop talking. He's, he's got a few things that he wants to tell us. He wants to back that up. And he's going to do that by giving us two contrasts. And once again, Paul, is, these contrasts have to do with who we were versus who we are. I was listening to somebody uh, preach uh, today and, and they were explaining the gospel and they got it absolutely right. I was telling Kathy on the way over, God, the, the, the salvation is about transformation. It's about being changed from one thing into something completely different. Completely different. This is who you were, now this is who you are. So here's the first contrast that Paul is going to give us. He's going to say, you were under the law, but now you are under grace. Let's read verse 14 in its entirety. He says, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, or because you are not under the law, you are now under grace. Now, let's first look at what it means. What does he mean when he says that we are under the law? Now, some of you have been studying the Bible for a long time, may may know what that phrase means, but a lot of people don't understand. What does he mean when he says we're under the law? Well, this is what he means. Being under the law means that you have chosen law-keeping. You have chosen works. You have chosen performance as the way that you plan on uh, uh, providing your own righteousness before a holy God. That's what that, that means. For example, the Bible says very clearly there's one way to heaven, only one way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12 says, There is salvation in no other. There is no other name given among heaven, among men, whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. There is no other way. 
But a lot of people say, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really, I'm not going to go with that Jesus guy. I'm going to, I'm going to put, I'm going to go in with this Muhammad guy. He's got this five pillar thing going, and and I think I'll go in with him. Or, or I'm going to go with this Buddha guy. I'm all into this metaphysical stuff and reincarnation. That sounds like a, like a better plan to me. So I'm going to go in with them. Or, or somebody might say, well, I'll go with this Joseph Smith guy. Or, or I'll go in with this Ellen White lady and, and the Seventh-day Adventist. Or I'll go Jehovah's Witness. Or you can go on down the line. By the way, all of those groups are works, 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 works. Perform, perform, perform. Every single one of them. Or you might be one of those who say, you know what, I'm not really into that religion stuff. I'm a good person. I just believe one day I'm going to stand before God, and yeah, I've done a few things bad, but God's going to weigh, his, weigh it all in a balance, and the good's going to outweigh the bad, and God's going to let me into heaven. I, I'll just rely on my own works. That's what it means to be under the law. You rely on your own performance to provide your righteousness before a holy God. Now, here's the thing about if you make a decision to do that. You can't be one or the other. If you decide to go in and provide your own righteousness, you've got to go all the way. There's a sto- uh, story in the Bible, and I'll tell you here in just a moment, about Paul in Galatia. And what I want you to see here in this story, or this scripture that I'm going to read to you, is it's, you are either under law or you are under grace. You can't have your foot in one and foot in the other and say, well, I'm a little bit, no doesn't work that way. You're either all in under the law or you're all in under grace. So Paul goes to this place called Galatia. It was a city back in, the, in, the, in Jesus' days, a Roman city. And he goes there and he established a church. And he established it on Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel and he sets his church up and then he leaves because that's what Paul does. He's a, he's a church planner. He's a missionary. So Paul moves on. Well, after he leaves, these men come into the church. And they said, they, they got up in front of these people and they said, you know what, we, we, we understand this Jesus guy. We believe in him. We believe he's the Messiah. But if you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to go all the way with God, you've got to follow the Jewish law. You've got to observe all the holidays. And by the way, you've got to be circumcised if you're a man. Now, Paul hears about this and he writes them a letter. We know it as the, as the book of Galatians. And this is what Paul says to him. He says, look, if you accept circumcision... Now, let me stop right there. Circumcision of itself, there's nothing wrong with it, good or bad, right or wrong. In fact, Paul himself, uh, he takes Timothy to Jerusalem. And Timothy's father was a Greek, and Timothy was never circumcised. And Paul took Timothy and circumcised him, not to provide righteousness, because he knew if the Jews saw that, they wouldn't listen to him. So what he was doing by circumcising Timothy is he was just moving a, removing a stumbling block so the Jews would, would listen to their preaching. So circumcision of itself, it's not a big deal unless you stand on it and rely on it as a way to provide your righteousness. This is what Paul said. I say to you, Paul, Paul said, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I say to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law you are severed from Christ. By the way, that's a play on words. Paul says if you cut yourself that way, you're cutting Christ out of your life. That's a a play on words. You are severing Christ out of your life. See, that's what Paul wants us to see. It's either one or the other. You're either in or out. You're either for me, Jesus said, or you're against me. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Get out of the middle. 
There is no middle. Romans six fourteen through 16. Let me read those verses and let's see what Paul says. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? No. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? That's Paul's entire point there. It's one or the other. You're either obeying sin or you're obeying righteousness in God. One or the other. You're under law or you're under grace. Now, what does it mean to be under grace? I keep using this term. I heard this about six months ago, and I just cannot get it out of my head. Under grace means that we come to Christ as a spiritual beggar. We come to Christ and we say, God, I got nothing. I got no works. I got no goodness. I got nothing. I bring nothing to the table. I fall on your mercy. I rely on you 100% for your righteousness. That's what it means to be under grace. That's the difference. One is relying on their works. The other one is relying on on Jesus. Now, let's watch what Paul says again. Sin shall not be master over you. Why, Paul? Because you're not under law. You're under grace. Now, here's the question. What is it about being under grace that allows Paul to guarantee you not just hope that it happens, not just think it might happen, but absolutely guarantee you that sin will not rule in your life? Here's how. Look at verses 17 through 18. Paul says, But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now look at that phrase right there. You have become obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. You see, our obedience when we're under grace... When we've been saved, when we've been born again, when we've been united with Christ, when we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when we've been transformed, our obedience is not mechanical. It's not out of, it's not out of duty. It's not something we do just because I... No, it's, it's who you are. It becomes who you are from the inside. And by the way, God does that. In fact, this is the very promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, listen to what God says. Behold the days, this is in the Old Testament, this is before Jesus came. God said this, Behold the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them. You see, in the Old Testament, God made a covenant, a contract, an agreement with the people. And this is what He said. He said, If you'll obey Me and follow Me, and let me be your God. He said, I'll bless you, and I'll protect you, and I'll honor you, and I'll watch over you. And the people with one accord said, we'll do it. And then they walked out the door and broke it every single time. Every single... That's what the Old Testament's about over and over again. God says, let's make an agreement. And the people said, yes, let's do it. And they walked out and they broke it again and again and again. That's what he's saying in that scripture. I, I was a husband to them. I loved them. I... I, I I married myself to them in a sense, and they cheated on me. They left me over and over and over again. Now watch what he says. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it this way in the New Testament. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant. This is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I'm going to put my law in their mind, and I'm going to write it where? On their heart. 
It's not on tablets of stone. It's not on paper. See, the difference is, I wish I had my Bible here. Yes, those words are on that paper, but those words are inside of me. They're a part of who I am. It's not about me reading that paper, got to do it. Read that paper, got to do it. No, it's just in me. It's in me. It's a part of who I am. Ezekiel 36 uh, says this, same type of prophecy. I will give you, say it with me, a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. God basically says, I'm not leaving it up to them anymore. I'm going to come in and take control of this situation. I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit within them. I'm going to cause them to walk in my statutes. Jeremiah 32, 40 says, I will inspire them to fear me so they will never turn away from me. I will, I will, I will. See, God is taking care of it. So we should see now, do you see how Paul can guarantee? You see how he can guarantee that that God will always be on the throne of your life? Because God himself will make sure of it. Not leaving it up to us anymore. I've been using this picture here probably for 10 years. I love this picture because it is such a help to me to understand my relationship with my Heavenly Father. If I ask you who's dunking the basketball, what do you say? The boy has the basketball. He's putting it through the basket, but he wouldn't, it wouldn't even be possible unless his daddy was picking him up. Let me tell you, I, 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 I press, I, I, I run, I fight, I discipline myself, but none of it would even be possible except the grace of God and the Spirit of God and a new heart and a new creation is working within me. None of that would even be possible. God himself is enabling this. Now, we're going to come back to that picture in, in, in just a little bit. I want to give you the second contrast that Paul gives us tonight. Slaves of sin versus slaves of righteousness. Let's read verses 17 and 18 again. He says, But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you now have become a slave of righteousness. Once again, he's talking about true Christians. They were slaves of sin, they've been set free, and they've become a slave of righteousness. Now let me... Let me, I got to explain something here about this word slavery. Do we all agree that the human language is, is just limited? Do you understand that? I, I was thinking today about an example in my own life, and I was thinking about my granddaughters. You know, when my granddaughters come up to me and they climb up into my lap and they put their arms around me and they say, I love you, Pop. If you ask me, how does that feel? I I can't explain it. I can say good. I can say wonderful. But that doesn't even come close to that feeling. Are you with me? The best I can get is it's perfect. It's, It's perfect. But even that doesn't explain. Are you with me? There are just certain realities in life that the human language just cannot. We can't find the words. How much more so with the realities of God? There are these huge, awesome, majestic, complex realities. And the Bible does its best to explain them to us through human language. 
in, in most cases, the way the Bible does it is it uses analogies. It, it tries to find something. You see it all the time. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Um, I am the gate. I am the shepherd. The kingdom of God is like a woman who, who lost a coin. The kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure. It's always trying to come up with these examples to explain these huge realities of, of Jesus himself and the kingdom of God. And it, it does the best. And, and by the way, those are helpful, but we have to be very careful that we don't take them too far. You have to be very careful you don't take them too far. Let me give you an example. John 15, 15. Jesus said this, No longer do I call you slaves. By the way, in the New Testament, the word for slaves and the word for servants, the exact same word. So some translations might say slaves, other translations might say servants. But he says this, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, because I have told you all the things that I've heard from my father. Now listen. Am I a friend of God? Yes. But not like I'm friends with Scott. Are you with me? You can take that too far. I don't worship Scott. I don't pray to Scott. I don't fear Scott. You can't take this friendship that that Jesus said, I've called you friends, and you can't say, well, that's just like a friend. No. It, It helps us, right? It helps us understand something. But you can't take it too far. Obviously, there are some aspects of friendship that we can't apply to God. The same is true for slavery. The same is true. There are some aspects of slavery that apply, and there are some aspects that don't. Now, let me explain what I mean. By the way, Paul understands what he's doing. Look at verses 18 and 19. Watch what Paul says. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness... I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Paul's like, man, I'm I'm trying to come up with an example here to explain to you what has happened to you. I'm trying to come up with an analogy to to explain who you are. And the best I can come up with is this slave of sin and a slave of righteousness. But he said, it's just because that's the only words I have. Do you see that? But we can't take it too far. Let me explain why. To us, when we think slavery, we immediately think that somebody is being forced to do something against their will. Right? That's a good definition. Somebody's being forced to do something against their will. I went out to Google and I typed in slave of sin. And I got multiple pictures, more than one, of of something like this with two hands and they're wrapped in chains or they're wrapped in rope. That was the image that Google gave me for slave of sin. Now, here's the idea. If we said someone was a slave of sin, immediately in our mind we get this idea that here's this guy and he's over here and he's a slave to sin. He don't really want to be there. He really wants to be over there serving God. I, I, I really want to be serving God. I, I really want to be doing something else. But I'm, I'm, I'm just bound up in these chains. I, I'm a slave to sin. Folks, that ain't what Paul means at all. When you're an unbeliever and you're a sinner, you're not being forced to do anything against your will. You are free to choose whatever you want and you won't sin. You love sin. Jesus said the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. 
One of these days we're going to have a, 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 a talk about free will. And what is free will? And do men have free will? And if our definition of a free will is, is, is somebody can choose whatever they want, then absolutely we have free will. It just turns out we want to sin. Listen, you put spinach and ice cream in front of a kid and you do it a thousand times and they're going to choose ice cream a thousand times. And you begin to wonder, well, do, we, do, they, do they even have free will? Do they even have? Sure they do. They're choosing what they want. When you're a sinner, you choose sin. You love it. You want it. You want to be the master of your ship, the master of your own domain. You're not bound up in, in some kind of chains. That's not what Paul means at all. What does he mean when he says we're slaves to sin? What he means is that in our sinful nature, we prefer sin over God. We prefer sin over righteousness. Look at verses 19 through 21. He uses a phrase there I think is interesting. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves, by the way, that's free will. You, you, you presented your members. Ears, go, go listen to things you shouldn't listen to. Go, do it. Eyes, go watch things you shouldn't be watching. Tongue, say things you shouldn't be saying. Hands, go touch things you shouldn't be touching. Here, sin, take them. That's free. You, you freely presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Paul says, now, in the same way, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, Paul says, watch what he says, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. This is what he means. When he says you were free in regard to righteousness, he means you saw God and righteousness like the same way you'd look at a rotten peach. How many of you have ever... Isn't this crazy? Some of you out here used to look at church people and say, them people are deluded. What is wrong with them people? There is nothing about church or God or right. None of that's attractive to me at all. Right? That you, there was, you were free in regard to righteousness because it held no attraction for you whatsoever. Now watch what Paul says in verse 22. But now, but now you have been set free from sin. How, Paul? Because he changed my heart. He transformed me. He, he, he did something inside of me to change my nature and now I have become a slave of God. Once again, this doesn't mean that God has me bound up in chains and ropes, and I can't, that's not what Paul means. What Paul means is now your, your want to has changed. Now what you used to see is, is deluded and stupid and foolish is now the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. God and Christ and righteousness are now desirable to you. God did that. God changed your want to on the inside. You just didn't wake up one day and get smart. You didn't just wake up one day and all of a sudden it all made sense. No. No, God did that on the inside. What does he mean we're a slave to righteousness? I'm a new creation in Christ and now I prefer righteousness over sin. It's more attractive. Do I still sin and mess up? Yeah, but I hate it. I want righteousness. You see, as a slave of righteousness, I'm not being forced to do anything I don't want to do. I'm free to choose whatever I want, but I want righteousness what a what a test for you and i 
Paul says in Corinthians, test yourself, examine yourselves. Don't you know if Jesus Christ is in you? One of the tests that you look deep down inside and ask yourself, do I love righteousness? Because I'm going to tell you, the true Christian loves righteousness. I'm not saying you don't mess up. I ain't saying you don't sin. But you hate that. We'll see that, we'll see that starting next week in chapter 7. You love righteousness. That is the true sign of a Christian. How many of y'all have ever seen a, a comet like this somewhere, right? You got the guy or the girl or whatever, and there's the demon on one side, and there's the, the, the angel on the other, and the, and the demon's trying to get him to do one thing, and the angel's trying to... You know, we've seen that over the years, right? There's this idea, I think, in our culture that we're all neutral. We all go through life as these neutral beings, right? And, and the devil or Satan or, or demons are trying to say, hey, come on over here. Uh, come on over here and be a slave of sin. Come on over here and where the darkness and the lies and, and you can under the law is. And then over here is God and, and Christ and angels and they're trying to get you over here. Come on over here and be a slave of God. Walk in light, walk in truth, walk in grace. Folks, that's not true at all. There are no neutral people. There are no neutral people in this world. You are a slave of sin or you're a slave of God. You are under the law or you are under grace. You are in the kingdom of darkness or you are in the kingdom of light. Your father is Satan or your father is the almighty God of the universe. You are one or you are the other. There are no neutral people. None. Look at verse 22. Let's read it. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. What a... Okay, let me stop right there. This is the most beautiful picture of the Christian life. The most beautiful picture of the Christian life. He says this. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You've been set free from sin. By the way, that's salvation. That is the moment that you're born again. That is the moment that you're united with Christ. That's justification. You're made right with God. And Paul said what you get from that is the fruit of sanctification, purity, holiness, a changed life. And the end of that is eternal life. That's what Christianity should look like. That's what Christianity should look like. Go to the Bible and I can find one guy, one guy that got saved and didn't get sanctified. And that's the thief on the cross, because he didn't have no time. <laughs> Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Other than that, everybody bears the fruits of repentance. Everybody. Now, let me talk a little bit about something. Some of you may have heard of this. There is a, uh, a belief system out there, a movement, if you want to call it that, and it's called Free Grace. And there are people that have written books about it and, and all of those kind of things. And, and free grace people believe this, that sanctification is not necessary in your life. They believe that when you get saved, you are guaranteed to go to heaven. And sanctification, it'd be good if it was a part of it, but it's not necessary. It's not a requirement. It's not something that every Christian is going to have. And you may say to me, now, well, wait a minute now, where would they get that at? Well, they get it from verses like this one, which is the very last verse of chapter 6. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And they say, see that? It's a free gift. 
It's, it's perfectly free. When you're saved, eternal life is free. You don't have to do nothing. You don't have to earn it. You ain't got to walk a certain way. You ain't got to live a certain way. You don't have to have a changed life. It's just free. See that? Now, by the way, they're right. It is free. Absolutely, perfectly free. And we saw that with the thief on the cross. Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in heaven, in paradise. He didn't have to do nothing. It was completely free. Here's the problem, though, is they take it too far. For example, free grace people believe that you can receive Jesus as your Savior and never make him your Lord. Now, my Bible doesn't teach that. Romans 10, 9, if you'll confess with your mouth the, the what? Lord Jesus, believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Free grace people believe that true Christians will not necessarily evidence their faith with fruit or with works. That's not what my Bible says. Ephesians 2, sin says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. That's why he saved you. For good works. They believe true Christians will not necessarily persevere in the faith. I mean, what my Bible says, Jesus said those that endure to the end are going to be saved. See, they literally believe that somebody could walk down this aisle tonight, pray a prayer, accept Christ, get saved, walk out of this building and back into a life of sin, never come back to church, never read their Bible, never pray, never do anything, never have a relationship with Jesus, just walk any way they want, and they've got them in heaven. And many of you have sat in funerals where they've preached people into heaven for that very reason because they made a decision 30, 25, whatever years ago. I don't see any of that in my Bible. None. None of it. I just don't see that in my Bible. See, it's clear in Scripture that God doesn't save us just to get us to heaven. That's great, that's wonderful, but that's not his only purpose. He saved us to create a people that are purified and holy that can be a light to the world and glorify his name. That's, his, that's why he saved us. He's got, he's got all kind of purposes going on here. Titus 2.14 said this, "...who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works." By the way, it's also apparently and, and, and incredibly clear from Scripture that true Christians always, always, always bear fruit. Always bear fruit. John 15, 2, Jesus said it himself, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I'll take it away and throw it in the fire. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't bear the fruits of holiness in their life. It just, there's no such thing. In fact, when you bear fruit, guess what he does? He prunes you. <laughs> he takes you through situations. He stresses you, puts you under pressure. Why? So you bring forth more fruit and more fruit and more fruit. He's not, he's not just settled. We got one little grape there. That's good. No. He ain't settling for one grape. We got to do better than that. So he comes in and makes sure there's more going on. Listen, this truth of sanctification fruit in a Christian's life is no more evident than in tonight's passage. Let me read both of those verses together. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our 
Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of the Christian life. Now, let me just say this so we're, everybody's completely clear. Salvation is free, perfectly free. But when you get off your knees, you are a new person in Jesus. You've got a new heart. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And you get up. We say it in this church all the time. True salvation equals what? A changed life. Your works, your holiness, your sanctification is not the basis for your salvation. But let me tell you, folks, it is your birthmark. It is your birthmark. That is the birthmark of true Christians. You're not earning it, but you're evidencing it. You're not earning it, but you're evidencing it. I got a couple of final thoughts here tonight, and I want to I issue you a challenge. I want to go back to that picture. I said I'd come back to it. I love that picture. Like I said, I've been using it for 10 years. And uh, because I just, I, I, every time, it just reminds me, God's behind this. God's got this. God's taking care of this. If God is doing it in our life, by the way, and he is, I'll show you some scriptures here in just a second. If God, if Paul is guaranteeing me that sin will not rule and reign in my life, if God has given me a new heart and God has given me a spirit and God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this new covenant, I'm going to take care of the situation, well, what about my choices? Do I play a part in this? Are my choices real? Absolutely they are. Hasn't Paul already made this clear to us in these verses? Consider yourselves dead to sin. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't go on presenting your members as un, uh, to sin of, as weapons of unrighteousness, but present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Those are all commands. Do this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. What we do absolutely matters. But there's two truths here. Number one, sanctification is the work of God. He doesn't leave it all up to you. But number two, sanctification is something we choose. We choose every single day. And I'm going to show you something here in just a moment. Let me first prove my case there. I want to give you three verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them guys. I worked harder than Peter. I worked... Harder than Silas. I worked harder than Barnabas. I worked harder than all of them. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me. See, Paul realized, yeah, I'm working. I'm pressing. I'm, I'm running. But all of that's being enabled by God himself. How about this one? One of my favorites. We all know this one. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. I underline the words in and out. It's God's job to work in you. He puts a new heart in you. He gives you a new mind. He writes the law on your, on your heart. He puts the spirit in you. He does all the work on your inside. Now he says you go work it on the out. You work it out in your marriage. You work it out in your family. You work it out on the job. You work it out in your finances. You work it out. I'll take care of the inside. You work it out on the outside. Finally, Philippians 3.12, Paul said this, not that I've already attained it. I'm not perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why, Paul? Because Jesus Christ has taken hold of me. He's taken hold of me. I got no other choice, man. I got to keep pressing i got to keep pressing. Listen, this is why Christian ministry, and I'm closing, 
is so important. What we are doing here tonight on a Wednesday night at River of Life in Little Walkala County and what we do on Sunday mornings and what they're doing in the youth group and what they're doing in life groups and what we're doing in, in our devotional time and our prayer time and our Bible reading time. Folks, these are serious matters because this is the way God has ordained that we persevere. This is the way. He's, this is what he said. Basically, I'm, I got this new covenant, right? I'm going to put my spirit in them. I'm going to write my law inside of them. I'm going to make them a new creation. Then I'm going to create this thing called the church. And I'm going to put them all in there, and they're going to gather together. And when they gather together, they're going to encourage one another and admonish one another and teach one another and preach to one another and hold one another accountable. And that's what's going to make them overcome. That's how God is ordained. That's why what we're doing here tonight, everything out there is just noise. I say it over, that's just noise, man. This is real. This is eternal. This is important. Now, with that in mind, I got a challenge for you. I got a challenge for you. I'm going to read a scripture, and let me give you a little background first. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. And Paul's writing to him because, uh, you know, again, he's, you got a church, you're a church pastor, you got a lot of issues. And one of the problems Timothy's got is there's people in the church who aren't being good Christians. Especially a couple of guys, they're, they're teaching false doctrine, they're teaching that the, the resurrection has already happened, and, and he's writing about these people in the church. And this is what Paul said to Timothy. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His... And let everyone name, who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. By the way, those are the two things we just talked about. Number one, the Lord knows who are His. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to keep them. I'm going to watch over them. I've, I've given them a new heart. I know the ones in that church that are mine. But let everyone that names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Walk away from it. You're no longer a slave of sin. He sets that up. Now watch what he says, folks. It, it almost seems... <laughs> like he's changed subjects, but he hadn't. He says this, In a great house, he tells Timothy, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there's also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Now, I pulled up a, a, a modern image, if you will, paper plates in China. Now, we love paper plates in my house, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I used one tonight before I came here. When I got done, it went right in the trash, right? It's a one-time deal. But let me tell you, when guests come over, when I need to honor somebody, I break out the good china, don't I? We break out the good stuff and we clean it up and we, because I want to honor that person, right? By the way, Paul is not talking about china. Paul lived in a day with no indoor plumbing. Some of you lived in that day, right? And in that day, they had a thing called a chamber pot they'd put in your bedroom because the toilet was out there in the cold weather. So they had a chamber. That's what Paul was talking about. He said, I got, I got vessels of gold and silver. I would never use them for that. Those are vessels of clay and wood. Those are, are dishonorable vessels. Now watch what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone cleanses themselves from what is dishonorable, they will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Watch what Paul says. They that what? Cleanse themselves. 
me tell you, God has given you a new heart. God has, has put His Spirit within you. God has made you a new creation. God has done all this for you. Now He says, go cleanse yourself. You, he's not going to make you do that. He's not going to force you to do that. Who do you want to be? You want to be a paper plate or you want to be fine china? Which one are you going to be? Let me tell you, in my house, God is on the throne. God is in the house. I'm going to honor God. I ain't putting paper plates in front of God. I'm going to give Him the best that I got. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Are we cleansing ourselves? I know there are people that, that wonder sometimes, man, I just wish God would use me. But yet the fact of the matter is, maybe there's some things in your life that you haven't cleansed yourself from. Let me back up and read that again. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, they will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. But we have to cleanse ourselves. I'm going to open the altar for a few minutes. I just believe tonight that there's some of us here that need to get before the Lord. I really do. Listen, I, I can't get past what Pastor Henry said a month ago. You, you come in here and you see some of these scriptures, and I, and, I, and I have to believe that the Holy Spirit grips our heart through the Word of God. And yet we can so easily get up and walk out and, you know, we, we're, next thing you know, you're in a conversation. Then on the way home, you're, you know, you get in a fight. Then you get home and you go to bed. And, and it's completely gone. Completely gone. And that tomorrow you don't even remember what was said. But we've got an opportunity right now to say, God, I've heard the word with my ears. I've understood it with my mind. Now, God, help me to obey. Help me to obey with my heart. If you want to come and spend some time at the altar, I'm just going to pray. Uh, here very quickly, and uh, feel free if you want to do that. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Lord, I thank you for, um, for the true word of God. Man, it is just so powerful when we hear what you have to say to us. And as I prayed at the very beginning, Lord, I pray again now that we not only hear this with our ears, we not just understand it with our mind, but Holy Spirit, help us to obey it at the very deepest part of our heart. God, I know that in my life, I don't want to be a paper plate. That's not what I want to be. I want to be a vessel of honor. But there's things in my life that need to be cleansed. There's things in my life that need to be cleaned up. God, help me. Help me. I, I present members to you. I present my mind to you, my ears to you, my, my mouth, my, my tongue, my eyes. I present them to you, God. Use them for righteousness. For those in this room tonight, Lord, that deep down inside, they want to do the same thing. It's their desire to be men and women of righteousness, men and women of honor. I, I pray, God, that this night right here will be a turning point in their life, that this night tonight will be a, a, a line in the sand, and from this point on, they're going to leave some things behind. And they're going to begin to press into you, maybe like they never have before. We love you, Lord. I just want to take a minute to praise you, Jesus. I want to thank you for saving me and so many others in this room. I want to thank you, God, that, that I'm not under an old covenant 
that has a bunch of laws that are written on a, a piece of stone or a piece of parchment. But I've, I'm under a covenant where the word is written in my heart. And even if they took that Bible away tomorrow, God, I'd still walk in your ways. I'd still follow you. I'd still be honorable to you because what's inside of me can't change. I'm going to keep pressing. God, help us. Help us to be the church you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to, to, to know you, to, to see you, to understand you as you are presented here in the book of Romans. Not, not, not stuff we've learned from CDs and movies and, and all this other stuff, but to know the God of the Bible, to honor the God of the Bible, to see the God of the Bible and to fall on our face before that God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for this Wednesday night service. I don't know about everybody else, Lord, but I, I just, I love hearing your word. I don't care if it's coming from me or somebody else. I just love hearing your word. There's something about it that's quick and powerful and sharp and life-changing. God, thank you for ordaining the church. Thank you for doing things the way you did it, for ordaining that imperfect people. Imperfect people teach and encourage other imperfect people. What a God you are. I love you, God. I thank you. In Jesus' name.